0: thank you for joining me for another episode. Today I will be reading an undated lecture by Neville Goddard and it is titled One Greater Than John. Again this is another rather long lecture so I am dividing it up into two parts. So this is part one of two of One Greater Than John. Neville tells his audience, tonight's subject is One Greater Than John. I think you will find this a most practical approach to this teaching. When we open the Bible, we think it is just a normal book. May I tell you, it is not. It is divine history, and all the characters in scripture represent states of consciousness, from Adam to Jesus, everyone. They're not individuals as you and I are, they're simply representatives of these states of awareness. And the very last, before the page turns into an entirely new age, is called John. And so we are told in the earliest of the Gospels, which is Mark, after John was arrested, Jesus came preaching the Gospel of John, John 1, 14. After John was arrested, then he appears preaching the Gospel of God. What is the story trying to tell us? So here, let me share with you my experience. I didn't know it either, but I'll tell you how this thing works. John, we are told, is the very last of the great prophets. As we're told, of those born of women, of of those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the least in the kingdom is greater than he. Matthew eleven eleven, none greater than John in this world. Yet the least in the kingdom is greater than he. And John came not eating or drinking. If you take that on this level, that's nonsense, because the body could not survive. Another gospel states, He came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. That tries in some way to well explain what he did not eat or drink. Well, there's no statement in the law of Moses against eating bread or drinking wine, unless you are one of the Nazarenes, and it's true as to wine, but certainly not eating bread. The last supper was the eating of bread and the drinking of wine. But he came, neither eating bread, if you want to take it certainly if you want to take it certainly not eating bread. Okay, there we go. (laughs) The last supper was the eating of bread and the drinking of wine, but he came, neither eating bread if you want to take it that way, nor drinking wine. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they called him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of a tax collectors and sinners. But we think this night of one greater than John, who is the greatest in this world, yet not equal to the least in the world called the kingdom of heaven. Now, these are only states of consciousness through which every man passes. If you're not now in the state of John, may I tell you, you're going to be some time in the state of John. If not now, in this present little environment, when the wheel turns and it returns, you will be in that state. Everyone passes through the state of John before he comes into the state of Jesus Christ. Now, what is the state of John? We come into this world. Now, let me share with you my own personal experience. I was born in a very limited environment, a small little island in the West Indies called Barbados. My father ran a little grocery store. But it was a general store. Not only groceries, but meat, fish, fowl, liquor, wine. I mean, it supplied everything for the table. I was raised in that environment where it seemed the most normal, natural thing in this world to eat anything that was placed on the table. And so I did. I left Barbados at the age of 17 and came to America. Believing as I did, everything placed before me that was edible was right. And then I fell into a state. The state called John, John came not eating or drinking, and then I fell into the state where I gave up all the things that I did normally as a boy, right through until I was seventeen years old. I fell into the state at the age of twenty, a little after twenty, say twenty one where I would not eat any me or any meat, any fish, fowl, not even eggs. Naturally, in those days, I didn't drink, so that was not giving up wine, but that couldn't cross my lips. I did violence to my own appetite because as a child, as a boy, I indulged in everything that my father placed before me, and suddenly I gave it all up, and for seven years I was a strict vegetarian, celibate, teetotaler. John represents that state in man's ongoing when he does violence to his appetite, and yet life is nothing more than the appeasement of hunger. God gives to every man in this world a hunger that he can, if he knows God's law, satisfy. He can clothe himself with the fulfillment of his dream and satisfy it. But there's a state where man passes through, and it is called John the Baptist, where he does violence to his appetite. I met a friend of mine in New York City. His name was Abdullah. He said to me in 1933, I met him in 29, and he did everything. He ate everything, he drank everything, he didn't smoke only because he just didn't enjoy it, but he did everything, an old, old man. He was then in his late 80s when I met him, and he said to me, so you're going to Barbados? You want to go to Barbados? I said, yes. Now this is where the good news of the kingdom comes in. Then when I met him, I did not eat flesh in any form. I did not drink alcohol in any form, and no smoking and a celibate. He said, well then, you are now in Barbados. I said, I'm in Barbados? This is on 72nd Street in New York City, where the buildings can go 30 and 40 stories high. Barbados, if you find a three-story building, you're lucky. The little one and the two-story buildings, and no sidewalk, but no sidewalk. One little, tiny street we call Broad Street. To this day, we call it Broad Street, and that's the only place that has a sidewalk. All the other areas, no sidewalks. You walk in the street, or you walk in the gutter, but there is no such thing as a sidewalk. And he said to me, now clothe yourself with Barbados. Put it on as you would another garment, just as you would another garment, so that you would smell the tropics, and you would see what you would see were you in Barbados. Well, I did my best, or I did I did to the best of my ability, and I clothed myself with Barbados. And when I thought then that night, the first night that I clothed myself with Barbados, I thought of New York City, and I saw it 2,000 miles to the north of me. Then I had succeeded in clothing myself with Barbados. I fell asleep in the assumption, I am in Barbados. Well, the days went on from this, I would say late October through November, and yet I am not physically in Barbados. So I tried to open up my discussion with Abdullah, and I said, Ab, I did all that you told me. I clothed myself with Barbados. I am sleeping in Barbados, and yet here I am in New York City. He would not talk to me. He turned his back upon me the very first time I brought it up. He walked towards his studio and slammed the door. In my face, and if you know if you knew Abdullah as I knew him, that was no invitation to come in. So, if I am clothing myself in Barbados and with Barbados, then I must be faithful to this clothing. That's the good news spoken of after John is arrested, not before John is doing violence, trying to gain the kingdom of heaven by being good, and he said to me, "You're so good, you're good for nothing." And you're trying to get into the kingdom by being good. You don't eat meat, no kind of meat. You don't drink any alcoholic liquor. You're so, you're so good. And you're celibate at the age that you are today. And so all the fires you've bottled up in you, trying to be good. So I kept on wearing my garment. I am in Barbados. On the morning of the 4th of December, a letter came to my door, stuck under the door. my brother giving reasons why he wanted me to come to Barbados, and enclosing in that letter a ticket for Barbados. I had not gone home to Barbados in 11 years. I made no request. I didn't write the family. My brother Victor writes me saying that you must come, and no response other than yes would he accept, and enclosing a little draft to buy shirts, if I need them, or a pair of shoes, and stating in the letter to use the check to the fullest advantage charge everything, and when I arrived in Barbados, well, he would board the ship and pay all expenses that I had signed. If I used the bar, use the bar. He didn't know I wasn't drinking, but all expenses, the tipping of the steward, the tipping up everyone in that ship. He would board the ship, take care of all of my expenses, but I must come. Then he gave me his reasons for it. He justified why. I went down to that ship on the morning of the 6th and got my passage and off I went. Before I went, Abdullah said to me, so you're going to Barbados. May I tell you, you're going to die, but you will not surely die, but you will die. He didn't explain. Like Blake, he never would tell me the interpretation of his statement, you will die. Well, I went off thinking, well, I'll die, die in Barbados. I didn't die in Barbados, but I died. I died to everything that I was doing." I lived on Barbados for three months, which is the Christmas season, and everyone is entertaining. I'm returning from America after 11 years, and party after party is, giving, is given for my honor. It's Christmas. It's New Year's. They're all drinking, all having fun, and I simply drank water. Mother prepared all kinds of meals, and I would have just a vegetable meal. She never heard of it. We were raised supplying the entire island with meat. With fish, with fowl, with everything, with all the wine. Everything was home. And I just said no. I would take vegetables. I was there for one solid three months. I came back to that ship going north. And the night I entered that ship, we sat maybe six or eight people at table. And we all introduced ourselves. My name is Neville Goddard. And so I would shake hands. And this one is so-and-so. You all introduce yourself aboard ship. Then the man to my right said to the waiter, let us see what you have for wine. The waiter brought the wine list. He said, we'll have that. I didn't say wine, so he ordered that wine. Then came the first course, soup. So I didn't ask if there's meat stock in this, as I'd done for seven years. I drank the soup. Then he brought the second course. It was fish. I ate the fish. He brought the third course. It was meat. I ate the meat all the time pouring down the wine, everything that I had not done in seven years I did that night. And then from then on, for the 10 or 12 days at sea, till I got off the ship in New York City, then I understood what he meant. You will die. That state called John the Baptist, which does violence to itself, you must pass through. If you are not now in it, you will be in it. It's part of the eternal drama of God. God has prepared a way to redeem himself. It's God and only God playing all these parts. So God has prepared the way to bring himself back, individualized as you. There's no other way. So from Adam to Jesus Christ, they are only states of awareness, through which God and only God passes. And the last state of the old dispensation is John the Baptist, That is the last stage, and so man must pass through that state. Don't try to invite it. It happens, and you don't understand why it happens. In my own case, raised normally with all the food before me because my father made a living feeding us by selling this, fish, fowl, meat, eggs, butter, everything that was normal, all the rum in the world. We make rum in Barbados. He drank heavily. My father was a very heavy drinker. All these things were exposed to us, so we took it and it. My father, the depths of my own being, moving me through all these furnaces, put me into a state where I was married at the age of eighteen, father at nineteen, separated at twenty, and then I became so disillusioned with marriage, I vowed I would have not a thing to do with sex, my own disillusionment, my own, not hers, my own. That was part of the play where he put me through these furnaces and brought me out seven years later. I know friends of mine who have been in that state of John the Baptist for 15 years or for 50 years, and they have died in it. But the wheel turns, they will come out, the wheel turns. Although they cease to be here as a flesh and blood being, they were in it when they died. Others came out after 40 years. Here was George Bernard Shaw, He died in it after 70 years. He was was 90 years when he died. He was a strict vegetarian and a teetotaler. He was in it, but he died in it. He had not come out. He died not believing in Christ. He died an atheist. He didn't know the good news. My friend Abdullah, who taught me this story, he was in it for 40 years. He hadn't touched anything that was meat, especially pork. He was born and raised in the Jewish faith, and for 40 years he touched nothing that was meat. But certainly he, not only 40 years, but from the time of of birth up, until he was almost 80 years old, he hadn't touched pork. And then came the same thing to him that happened to me. So man passes through this state called John the Baptist, and he comes into the state called Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the freedom of the world. So it's said of John, he came not eating or drinking. It is said of Christ, called the Son of Man, he came eating and drinking. And they say of him, behold, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So you must pass through it, and then you know what he's talking about. He doesn't come to destroy the law. He said not one little dot will be rubbed out of the law. All will be fulfilled. But he interprets the law as John could not interpret it. John thought that by doing violence to his appetite, he would get into the kingdom. He thought that he could scare a man into salvation. And the next state beyond John tells you, you can't do it that way. He interprets the law and shows the law as something that is mental, not physical. And then he puts it this way. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks on a woman lustfully has already committed the act of adultery with her in his heart. Matthew uh, 5, I think that's Matthew five twenty-seven. He takes it from a physical state to a mental state. If I look upon a woman lustfully and I think I can get away with it, and it seems pleasant, I may be inclined to do it. If I contemplate that act along with its consequences for myself, I did it. So causation is mental. It's not physical. John didn't know that. The state called John didn't know that. If I restricted myself and restricted the impulse, I thought, well, am I not wonderful? I have just abided by the law. Ye shall not do. Then comes the next state called Jesus Christ, and that state tells me that wasn't good enough. The wheel is turning, and you are going to do it tomorrow. The wheel will turn now and tomorrow when it turns all over again, you will be performing the act and you'll wonder why has this happened to me to the disgrace of my family and myself because you thought by the restraint of the act you didn't do it and now he interprets the law for us and tells us the very contemplation of the act was the act and so when one gets to that point where they don't even contemplate it, well then off the wheel of recurrence we are lifted one by one. And that is the story of the one greater than John. So everyone is moving through a series of states. And it starts from Adam through, well, we can stop the Adam and start it from Abraham. For that's where real civilization begins. So you start from Abraham and you come all the way through into Jesus Christ. And they're only states of consciousness where God passes through individualizing himself as you. And everyone goes through the state called John the Baptist. So all of those born of woman, none is greater than John. Yet the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. So how great we are in this world, that doesn't really matter. Because the least in the kingdom of God has a greatness beyond the wildest dream of this world. The least has a greatness. You can't conceive the greatness of the least in the kingdom. And he's brought there, not by anything he's done, for, may I tell you, I did nothing to do it. I fell into it. But who made me fall into it? God. And so we can't take any credit for having fallen into the state of John. It seemed to me, if I reflect upon it prior to when I fell into it, that I was disillusioned in marriage. A young man of 18 getting married, and then being a father at 19, and then at 20 separated, and becoming disillusioned. And then pledging myself not to have anything to do in the sexual world, and then to give up completely all food that I loved. I love food, love all the things that the world could offer. And then to go through it, and a man would tell me on a certain day, you are going to die, but not really die, and then you are bewildered. I'm going to die, but I'm not going to die. What is he talking about? While he was talking about the state, I will die to the state. And when after all these things happened, and I said to him, What did you mean, and who told you that I would die and yet not really die? He said to me, The brothers. That's all that he would tell me. The brothers told me that you would die and not really die. The brothers told me you were coming to me. And what did he mean by the brothers? The Elohim, the gods who made us all in their own image. Okay, so. That is going to conclude part one of of two of Neville Goddard's lecture titled One Greater Than John. Thank you so much again for joining me for another lecture. Um, I will see you guys next episode for part two of One Greater Than John. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you next time.